0: During this, my 90th podcast, we'll discuss efforts in California to move increasingly toward value-based or pay-for-performance payment. With me to discuss the topic is Ms. Jill Yigian, Senior VP for Programs and Policy at the California Integrated Healthcare Association. Jill, welcome to the program.
1: Thank you, David. It's great to be here.
0: As listeners are well aware, essentially the entire healthcare industry is attempting to incent care quality or improved care outcomes via payment or reimbursement reform. Medicare has its accountable care organizations and bundled payments. Medicaid services are now largely delivered via managed care contracts, and self-insured employers and commercial insurance plans are increasingly involved in various forms of P4P or pay-for-performance again contracting. Since California is considered the health care reform bellwether, again with me to discuss the state's progress is Jill Yigian. Jill's bio is of course posted on the podcast website, and Jill's comments are her own. So with that on background, Jill, let's start with the obvious question. Can you briefly describe IHA's work?
1: Absolutely, David. At IHA, our work is focused on creating credible and actionable information. And we're really working towards sustainable improvement in California's healthcare systems through multi-stakeholder collaboration. So we have a a broad and robust board that includes physician groups, hospitals, and health systems, purchasers, and health plans. And collectively, we are all committed to high-value integrated care that improves quality and affordability for patients across California and the whole nation.
0: Okay, thank you. So let's go into the landscape in California. So can you give an overview of the payment reform landscape in California, for example, who's participating, uh, and what does payment or reimbursement reform look like?
1: Sure. There is a tremendous amount of activity in California as there is across the country. So I'll just give a very quick snapshot, and then – talk a little bit more about where our work focuses. On the commercial side, we see a primary activity around our program, the Integrated Healthcare Association's Value-Based Pay for Performance uh, with health maintenance organizations across the state. And I'll talk in more detail about that, we also, as you noted, uh, David, see quite a bit of ACO activity uh, with total cost of care contracts and quality metrics on both the commercial side and the Medicare side with Pioneer, uh, MSSP, and now NextGen. We have a tremendous participation in the state with Medicare Advantage stars, and that really has... Uh, driven performance improvement at the physician organization and the plan level and IHA actually has a performance measurement and reporting program uh, for that initiative as well. And on the Medi-Cal side, we see, as you noted, managed care organizations uh, being becoming quite prevalent, uh, enrolling most of the Medi-Cal, uh, which is California's Medicaid program, enrollees across the state, many of those programs, many of those managed care organizations have P4P programs for their physician networks. Uh, and we see a new 1115 waiver just approved by CMS, uh, including a major component on alternative payment models for public hospital systems. Well, so there's quite the a picture. number of
0: silos in all this. So let's, yes. uh, I've spent a lot of time discussing Medicare. Maybe we can emphasize or use our time here on, you mentioned HMOs and the work they're doing. So the commercial market, and maybe if we have time, we can go to the Medi-Cal or the Medicaid market. But I think the HMOs get to your p for p work. So why don't we uh, follow up with more discussion? Can you say more about that activity?
1: Absolutely. Our program, uh, Value-Based Pay for Performance, brings together 10 HMOs with about 200 physician organizations and those are medical groups and independent practice associations to reach agreement on a common measure set and incentive design and collectively those participants are responsible for the coverage and care of about 9 million Californians. It's been around since uh, the early 2000s, and to date, the program's paid up upwards of $550 million. It's been a really interesting trajectory over the last decade plus, beginning with reaching consensus among the participants on quality measurement, but without making any payment, and then moving into paying on quality and then adding in resource use measures, then adding in total cost of care measures, which has been a very heavy lift in terms of reaching agreement among all the stakeholders on comparable measurement of total cost of care. And then in 2013, we had a major transition from our quality-based bonus program to what we're now calling value-based pay for performance. And that's essentially a shared savings program That's based on resource use, Uh, and we also have performance gates for both quality uh, and total cost of care trend. So the incentive design really pulls together the clinical quality side, total cost of care trend, and resource use into an integrated design emphasizing value.
0: Let me just ask on the resource use because this is one of the components under MACRA. So MACRA is the doc fix replacement legislation from last year. One of the two ways you can be incentive for Quality under MACRA, if you're a physician in Medicare, is via this MIPS, uh, merit-based payment, has four component scores. One is resource use. And that's at the federal level new, so it's black box, but you've been doing resource use measures. So what are they and how do they work? That's
1: a great question, and it's a challenge. Uh, The resource use measures that we use uh, for the Shared Savings Program are inpatient bed days, uh, inpatient discharges, readmissions, emergency department visits, and generic prescribing. Uh, And we have occasionally an additional testing measure that may make it into the program based on how the testing period goes. But those are the resource use measures and we have had a great experience getting everyone on the same page about how to measure them and on the comparability of the data. But there are significant challenges in making resource use measures actionable for physician organizations both in terms of being able to get sufficiently timely reporting that they can really influence their own results and from the perspective of being sufficiently granular that they can follow up. And they're not, for this purpose, we are doing accountability measuring. And it is not the same as performance improvement measuring, which really allows the physician organizations to have the data on exactly who is, for example, showing up in the emergency department or being hospitalized in a way that they can deploy clinical resources to change that. So it is important to understand what the benefits and the advantages are of the accountability-based measuring that we're engaged in, and that that not to have expectations of that form of measuring that would allow for real-time management and monitoring of those resource-use measures. Does that make sense, David? Yes,
0: that's helpful. And... Suffice to say on resource use, basically you want to appropriately lower resource use. So, for example, you want to keep people out of the emergency room.
1: Exactly.
0: let, let me let's just stay for a moment with measurement, because again, these programs are premised on uh, measurement relative to what reward is above and beyond what counterfactually plans or providers or other would have been otherwise rewarded. So on quality measurement. You know, this is a greatly debated topic at the federal level. There are too many measures. There are too many process measures. The measures aren't harmonized. There are too many disparate measure sets. And we go on and on and on. Um, What evidence do you have in your experience as it relates to measurements correlating to actual reduction in spending growth? I mean, this is the magic uh, question uh, that we want to get to a point where we know or there's a correlation between what we measure and a reduction in expenditures or, again, spending and even possibly costs. Um, where is, California, your experience on this?
1: Well, it's a great point. And in, in our program, we have, when we have done correlations between our total cost of care data and our clinical quality data, uh, those have been weak results. The correlation is weak, and that is pretty consistent with uh, the mixed findings that we see in the literature on this topic. I think it's fair to note that we did not expect that measuring quality would necessarily lead to a reduction in cost. And that is, from my perspective, not necessarily the reason one would engage in a performance measurement program and is, in fact, the reason that we went towards making it a value-based program because creating bonuses for quality had the expected effect of creating steady, gradual improvements in quality over a number of years but it didn't reduce cost. And the stakeholders, our stakeholders, the health plans and the physician organizations around the table felt strongly that there was an opportunity to really bend that cost curve. But in order to do that, you really need to measure total cost of care and report on that and on the underlying components of resource use. Measuring quality is not gonna reduce uh, cost you need to really focus on the cost and the resource use elements, and make sure that people understand what that picture looks like. So that's been our focus over the last several years, and we have an enormous milestone coming up a week from today, when California's uh, Office of the Patient Advocate will publish for the first time ratings of total cost of care at the physician organization level, and it's our sense that that will be helpful not just for consumers who may want to choose a high-quality, low-cost physician organization, and they can now do that because the OPA ratings will show clinical quality and patient experience and total cost of care in three columns next to each other. Not only will that be helpful to consumers, but also providers will be able to go onto the site and see how they compare with their peers and plans and purchasers will have that information too. So we're really enthusiastic about this and think that it's a demonstration of how far in front California's physician organizations are that they're willing to engage not only in the performance measurement and internal reporting of total cost of care data, but in publicly reporting that as well.
0: Okay. The, the big question is, if you're succeeding on resource use and total cost of care... Absent having affirmed some strong correlation on quality measures, are you confident or comfortable to know that and this is the question always gets asked there's no stinting of care
1: that's a great question, and I think the big learning from the backlash against HMOs in the early '90s exactly
0: right yes mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> was um, the overlay of strong clinical quality measurement. So in the case of our program and our incentive design, the physician organizations receive rewards for hitting resource use targets, but they can't qualify for those rewards unless they have passed a quality gate. There's a Mm -hmm. threshold for quality, and any physician organization that receives a quality score that is lower than the threshold is not eligible for any form of reward, regardless of how well they do on resource use savings. So I think that's the easiest example of the learnings from that backlash applied to the programs we see today, and it's true uh, pretty much across the board, you see that quality overlay, for example, in Pioneer ACO. Correct, uh, yes. And in some of the other federal programs.
0: I was just going to say, that's generally how ACOs work. Let's go to uh, total cost of care, and let's talk about savings. You, We're focused on this 10 health plan, 200 physician organization uh, effort. What are some of the numbers uh, relative to the the bending the cost curve or bending the spending curve more accurately?
1: Well, what we're seeing is very interesting, which is that in our measure of total cost of care, we've seen total cost of care fall on... over time. Certainly, the acceleration uh, of total cost of care growth has decreased over time. And so, for example, back in 2009, we, we observed an increase of, in total cost of care of almost 11%. And as we track the year-over-year increase in total cost of care since 2009, we see that 10.9% increase from 09 falling to 7.3 in 2010, 6.7 in 2011, 4.9 in 2012, 2.7 in 2013, and we actually saw a slight dip in the total cost of care. It decreased uh, in 2014. Now, we do not attribute the results of total cost of care reduction over time uh, entirely or even in large part to our program But we do think that it is very valuable to be able to have a consistent measure, to be able to track this result over time. And we think that it is likely uh, that having the physician organizations, these integrated care groups, really thinking about and focusing on total cost of care uh, does help.
0: So there, as you suggested, there are confounding factors, but you're hoping that this trend is predictive as you work uh, through the remainder of this. Uh, decade, so you hope to maintain those numbers, or even possibly improve on them, or at least stabilize those growth numbers.
1: Exactly, and David, I have to say it is a work in progress, as everything else is. So, for example, we've been working very hard to bring into our measurement realm some of the large health plans that may have a large, longer-term trajectory. Uh, so this year, for example, we had a much bigger increase in the number of lives covered by our total cost of care measurement. In 2013, there were about two and a half million lives covered. And in 2014, that reached 8.4 million lives. Due to the addition of Anthem, Blue Cross, Kaiser Permanente, and Western Health Advantage. So those, they're simultaneous moving parts with uh, adoption of the measure and contribution of the data expanding at the same time as we get more sophisticated with our ability to capture and analyze the data. At this point, though, what we have is lump sum total cost of care data. And at some point in the future, it may be possible to get more granular information, for example, which piece of it represents inpatient care and which is outpatient and so forth. And right now, we aren't able to drill down to that more granular level.
0: Or subpopulations, correct? Right. But the upside is you have a larger N, so that's uh, provide you more confidence.
1: Yes, absolutely. And we have, I just need to mention that we have some really exciting work ongoing that isn't related to the Value Based P4P program, but that cuts across geographies and product lines in California. And the early version of that work focused only on quality and resource use measures. And it's available publicly online. Uh, It's called HEDIS by Geography. And we are now working on overlaying total cost of care data that will allow us to identify the differences in performance among product lines. So, for example, HMO, PPO. Medicare Stars and MediCal and also by geographies uh going down to, for example, the Covered California region. In California, our exchange is called Covered California. We have nineteen regions, and the map on quality that's currently up uh at the Hades by Geography website allows for a drill down by geography as well as by product line. And it's just worth noting that what we found when we did that analysis by-product line was that the HMO products, which we think depend much more heavily on the integrated physician organization, showed superior uh, performance on quality without additional resource use. So we're really looking forward to seeing what the total cost of care data overlay uh, will show, and we expect to have that released uh, by summer.
0: So this is the all-payer uh discussion so uh i'm smiling because i'm thinking maybe hmos will uh, re- will approve themselves out a couple of decades later we have time for one uh closing question uh, so this is the what lessons can we draw or what can uh, you suggest uh, uh from your experience as it relates to what's going on nationwide or what can we learn from the california experience to date
1: that's a great question David, and there are many, um, many, certainly many lessons uh, learned along the way. I'll just mention a couple of them. One is that we've really found that non-financial incentives have been very important motivators, and they are core components of our program, both public reporting, and I mentioned that we partner with the Office of the Patient Advocate to report uh, the, both quality and total cost of care, uh, and also uh, awards we have an annual awards program uh, called Excellence. In healthcare award, where there's a combined performance on clinical quality patient experience and total cost of care, it's very difficult to get those awards. They're prestigious. And we have found that the non-financial incentives are really important. It's not just about uh, financial rewards. right. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The other lesson I would point to is really – the importance for us as a voluntary program of uh, engagement in governance and flexibility. So any anytime that our constituents uh, sort of stop seeing the value in the program, um, they will simply exit. We have no ability to require that. And the upside of that has been that we are very much partnered with our health plans and with our physician organizations in creating and then modifying, refining, ever evolving a program that is specifically designed to meet their needs that sometimes is challenging. It can be difficult to get consensus. It can be very challenging to come up with something that works for everyone, but it tends to be credible and sticky, if you will, once Mm -hmm. we've gotten there.
0: Mm -hmm. So the whole self upside downside on self-selection So, Jill, sadly, we're at our uh, time limit. So, a lot going on. We could have spent much more time on any one of these silos, but I appreciate uh, the discussion time we did have. Thank you very much, and of course, wish you all the success.
1: Thank you, David. It was a real pleasure.
0: You have just heard another edition of the Healthcare Policy Podcast, hosted by David Intricasso. To comment on this program or others, to see information about upcoming interviews, to suggest a program topic or to hear an archive program, please visit our website, thehealthcarepolicypodcast.com. Thank you for listening, and please listen again soon.